I'm a local loan officer in West Palm Beach, Florida. I've been in the mortgage industry for the last eight years. I've worked in the industry throughout the country. I've closed over a thousand loans during my career, so I've seen it all. I'm on a mission to make mortgages both entertaining and educational. Welcome to Lending with Leah. This is the podcast for anyone thinking of potentially owning, in the process of buying, or already owns their own home. Magical. <laughs> double magical. Uh, yeah, we're double magical today. <laughs> anyway, today is actually the final episode in this three-part series that I'm doing for you guys. So a couple weeks ago, we did FHA loans. Last week, we did VA, or actually flip that. I did VA first, then FHA. And today we are diving into conventional loans. So just like FHA and VA, I'm breaking this into four different segments for you guys. Types of properties that will work for conventional loans, some credit income and asset information that's gonna be specific to conventional loans, unique features, and then at the end, we're gonna bust some myths that come along with conventional loans. So let's dive right in because I've got lots of good information to give you guys today. Types of properties that work with conventional loans. Unlike FHA and VA, if you guys have listened to the last couple episodes, conventional loans are really going to work with pretty much every type of property. So what's every type of property? Single family homes, town homes multi-family homes, one to four units. Remember, anything above four units is actually considered commercial. Manufactured homes and condos. Condos are kind of the big one, you know, with FHA and VA. There's not many condos that are approved for those types of financing. So going to focus on that piece a little bit more for you guys. Anyone out there who's looking to purchase a condo, this is a big thing here in Florida. We have a ton, a ton, a ton of condos here. You are going to want to do a conventional loan, most likely, unless you happen to be purchasing a condo at a complex that's approved for FHA or VA financing. This is the loan for you. So this is the podcast episode for you if you want a condo. I'm actually going to do a episode for you guys too a little later on where we're really going to deep dive into financing for condos because it is a whole different ball game than financing any other type of property. There's a lot more that goes into it and there's a lot of people that want condos. So I want to bring that information to you guys. So look for that in the next week or two. What are some other types of properties that work with conventional financing that maybe don't work with the other kinds, FHA or VA? So conventional is going to be primary home, second home, or vacation property, and investment properties. Again, just kind of like with the condos, if you are looking to purchase a second home, vacation home, or an investment property, you're going to want to look into a conventional loan. This is the episode for you guys if that is something that you are wanting to do. 
The other nice piece to conventional compared to the other types of loans is that the property requirements are much less strict. So I talked about that right with FHA and VA is that the condition that the property is in, it's more strict. So the properties are going to be held to higher standards. And when your appraiser goes out to appraise the value of the home, they're going to also hold the property to higher standards. There may be repairs that have to be completed before you can actually close on a loan. On conventional loans, let's get this straight, you can't just buy anything. Like, right, if the property is missing a roof, a conventional loan is still not going to work for that property. So let's get that on the table. However, that being said, it is much less strict than the other loan types. So if you do want to buy a property that maybe needs a little tender, loving care, this would be the type of loan that you would want to look into getting. A couple little things I'll point out to you guys. Since conventional loans do allow for second homes and investment properties, you know, what are kind of some of those nuances, I guess you could say, that go along with that? So if you're purchasing a primary home, your minimum down payment is going to be anywhere between 3 to 5% down. So in some cases, if you're a first-time home buyer or you meet certain income limits, you might be able to do 3% down, which is actually less expensive than an FHA loan. Oh my gosh! A lot of people think you need 20% down, but you don't. You actually only need three to five. So conventional loans are actually truly very cost-effective loans, just like the other loan products that are out there. Now, on second homes, though, second homes are going to have a 10% down payment requirement as a minimum, something I will talk on a little bit when it comes to second homes, is that prior to, I was going to say March or April of 2022, second homes actually used to have the same interest rates as primary homes, which was awesome until the government kind of caught wind of Airbnb and all these uh, short-term rentals. When those came into place, people were actually purchasing homes as second homes, vacation homes, and using it also as Airbnb as an investment property because in order to do a second home, you just have to live in it a little bit out of the year, right? So with Airbnb, you can actually black out certain dates that you can go use the home as your personal vacation home, and it's also an investment. Unfortunately, once the government caught on, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. once they caught on to this, they actually increased the interest rates on second homes to match that of investment properties. Interest rates on investment properties are much higher than that of primary homes. So now second homes are going to be there as well. But the benefit to a second home 
is again, 10% down versus an investment property. You're looking at a minimum of 15% down for a one unit home, 25% down for a two, three or four unit home. So keep that in mind. Definitely is going to cost you a little bit more to purchase it as an investment property. That's why I do tend to suggest if you are looking to get into the short-term rental game, if we can do it as a second home, save you a little money out of pocket and you also use it, you have to use it as a vacation property as well. That is a great option for you to do. And that's not something you can do with FHA or VA loans. That is conventional only. So great product, well, great and needed necessary product to be able to do that. All right, let's jump to the next section. So credit, income, and assets. If you listen to the FHA and VA episodes, this piece is going to be relatively the same. Pretty much any loan type is going to roughly have a two-year history requirement, meaning where have you lived for the last two years? Where have you been employed for the last two years? It's a pretty common trend no matter what type of loan you're getting, again, with little nuances here and there. So I'm going to share some of those little nuances, guidelines, tips, and tricks for you guys. One of the cool things about conventional loans is there's actually two types of conventional loans. So let's break this down a little bit more. There's two entities that oversee conventional loans. There's Fannie Mae and there's Freddie Mac. Relatively the same with a couple little nuances here and there between the two. Those little nuances could make it more beneficial for you to do a conventional loan with one type or the other, or maybe be the difference between qualifying for a loan and not. One of those is going to be in terms of self-employed income. Now, self-employed income in almost all cases, you have to have a two-year history of being at that self-employed job or owning that business. Except for FHA, we went over that little nifty trick loophole. Now, Freddie Mac also kind of has a little bit of a loophole. Now, not as far as a shorter time period that you have to have this job for, but if you have been employed in the same self-employed job, so like if you're 1099 or business and you've been there for five years or more, you can actually use one year of tax returns to calculate your income versus two. Why would this be important? Why does this come in handy? Well, guys, let's be honest here. When you're self-employed, part of the benefit to that is all the write-offs you get, right? Like, let's let's just shoot it straight. That's kind of one of the goals to being self-employed on top of being your own boss is that 
you get to write things off. Yay, this is great. We love it. Except the government, pardon my French, will screw you over when it comes to getting a mortgage. Why? Because when you have write-offs minus a couple little items, you don't actually get to count that as qualifying income for your mortgage. Where's my, oh yeah, sad, sad. So for example, I had someone, she's self-employed, a client, and we did her income calculation. I called her and I'm like, I'm so sorry, but unfortunately we don't have enough qualifying income. Our debt to income ratio is too high. We don't qualify for a loan right now. And she goes, but that's not, I made double that. And I said, well, you did, you did make double that, but you wrote off half of it. And when you write things off, you don't get to use it as qualifying income for a mortgage. Now, on the flip side, right, if you decide to claim the majority of your income and have very little in write-offs, what's the trade-off? Trade-off is you definitely have more qualifying income for a mortgage, but what's the downside? You're going to owe more in taxes, and what happens when you owe taxes and you're trying to get a mortgage? The government wants their money one way or another. So when you owe federal taxes, the only way you can get a mortgage is one of two options. You have to be set up on an income base, or not necessarily income base, but set up on an IRS repayment plan. That payment has to be included in your debt to income ratio which is gonna lower what you can qualify for, or you have to pay off the taxes owed in full. Ay ay ay. And if you have to do this for two years, that sucks. So where this Freddie Mac piece kind of loophole comes into place is if you've owned your business for five years, you might only have to take really one solid year hit on your taxes where you don't have as many write-offs versus having to do it for two. And then we're only using that one year to actually do your income calculation versus using two. That's where this really comes into place. Bonus, overtime, commission incomes, all of those like specialty income sources, just like all the other loan types, typically in most cases, you do want to have a two-year history of earning those types of incomes. However, you can if you have earned it between 12 to 24 months, so between one to two years, if you have positive factors to offset the shorter time frame, you can use it as qualifying income. Unfortunately, the guidelines don't necessarily specify what positive factors are, <laughs> but some examples that I've seen get through for positive factors would be if that, that specialty source of income, if that's got an increasing trend to it, if you've been in the same line of work for a very long period of time, or if your employer is willing to confirm or guarantee that this is likely to continue at the same pace. 
you know, things like that are going to help offset that or give you more of that positive factor to be able to use these types of incomes on a much shorter time period. Now, credit, what is the minimum credit score for a conventional loan? Waiting, waiting, waiting. You guessed it, 620. But word of caution, just like with any other type of loan, but I really want to caution on conventional loans. Just because you have the minimum credit score does not mean you're going to get an approval for a conventional loan. Let me repeat that. Just because we have the minimum credit score does not mean we're going to get an approval. What do I mean by that? Every loan is run through an automated underwriting system. It's the same no matter what lender you go with. Each entity has its own. So if you are doing a Fannie Mae conventional loan, you have, it's called desktop underwriter. And if you are doing a Freddie Mac conventional loan, it is called loan prospector. Both are underwriting systems. And you know what these systems do is they are going to pull all the information from your application, which is why it's so important that your loan officer is doing a full, complete application with verified documents. And it's going to pull your credit report and it's going to run a very fancy risk algorithm. And it's going to tell us if we have a approval or not. I do not see approvals through these underwriting systems on conventional loans very often if we are below a 680 credit score. That being said, I still see them from time to time. I think the lowest I've personally ever seen get through is a 640 on a conventional. So it's not impossible. But just word of caution there, make sure your loan officer is running these systems, especially if we have a lower credit score and we're trying to go conventional. Credit. This brings us to a very important, not concept, but new news that's out there right now in the media. In the media right now, there's a big frenzy, right? I'm actually, I've been getting a lot of texts, calls from clients, from agents saying, hey, is it true that it's now going to be less expensive for me to get a mortgage, aka better interest rate, for me to get a mortgage with a lower credit score versus if I have a higher credit score? Let's break this down because there's a lot of misconceptions around this, what it actually means, what's going on with it. So first of all, this was actually announced much earlier this year. This has been in effect since early 2023. Now, the reason it's becoming such a media hype now is because even though it was an in effect, the start date for these changes was for loans purchased after May 
first. What does what does that mean? Let's break it down for you guys so you understand. So loans purchased May 1st does not mean loans closed May 1st or loans started May 1st. Little uh, breakdown of how the mortgage process works. You go to a loan officer, you start your application, you get pre-approved, go under contract for a home, you go through the process, you close on your loan, and then your lender sells your loan and a investor purchases it. So this thing that's in place that the media is talking about was for loans purchased May 1st. So what does that mean? That means your loan had to have closed prior to that and have been purchased before May 1st to not be hit with these changes in this this new effect. So we got the timeline of it right. Now, what exactly is it? These are changes to something that's called LLPAs for short. What does that stand for? Loan level price adjustments. And what does that mean? Loan level price adjustments have always been there. This is not new. They have always been there. And it is basically the way I describe it is it's the cost to you as the consumer, as the buyer for your interest rate discount points. If you want to know more about discount points, closing costs, all that, we have an episode for it. Understanding closing costs, go back and listen to that one. I really break that down for you guys. But cost for your interest rate. What are these new changes? Like really, really like let's break it down. So there were some new categories added to loan level price adjustments. Prior to loans purchase May 1st, the max credit score where you could get a benefit in your interest rate was 760. Anything 760 and above, you got the same rate. Now there's a new category. So that has been bumped up to 780. So if you are between 761 and 780, or sorry, mess that up a little bit. If you are 780 and higher, then you have a better credit score than someone who's 760, who's 740, on and on and on. So that was one of the new things was there was this new category added. But what basically is happening is that the loan level price adjustments or the cost for the interest rate If you have a higher credit score and you're putting more down, let's say between five to 20% down and you've got a 740 credit score, your cost for the same interest rate, if we take out all the market adjustments and all that, let's say rates stayed exactly the same. Let's say prior to your loan being purchased May 1st, let's say 
6% with paying one point. Now, if your loan's purchased after May 1st, that same 6% rate is now going to cost you 1.5 points instead of one. So if you're following what I'm saying here, it's basically that your cost for the interest rate for your category was less expensive before May 1st and is now more expensive after May 1st. People with lower credit scores, the kind of flip happened, right? So let's say the 6% rate was going to cost them three points, you know, before May 1st. Well, now after May 1st, that 6% rate is going to only cost them two and a half points. And again, these are not exact figures. Just It just gives you guys an example of how it works. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that if you have a lower credit score, you are getting a better interest rate or you're paying less than someone who has a better credit score. <clears throat> it just simply means that your cost for the rate is less expensive after May 1st than it was prior to May 1st. One of the other misconceptions around this that I want to just kind of put to bed, I have had a lot of clients reach out and say, oh, now I can get approved with a bad credit score because people with good credit scores are supplementing. No. Uh-uh. These changes to loan level price adjustments are not making any changes to qualification, to minimum credit score standards, they are not making it easier for you to get approved for a loan. So I want to set that clear because I know that's something I've heard a lot. It, it, you know, in my opinion, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we're charging people who have done really well with their credit, who have larger down payments saved up. It's unfortunate that we're charging more now than we used to but let's kind of get it in line you know they're not necessarily supplementing lower credit scores and it's not making it more likely for someone with a lower credit score to get approved for a loan now that we touched on that <laughs> a couple other little things when it comes to credit income and assets Student loans are another one that have some little nuanced differences between Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So as kind of a blanket, Fannie Mae makes you use 1% of the outstanding balance as a monthly payment for student loans versus Freddie Mac is half a percent. So for close on debt to income ratio, Freddie Mac might be the better option. However, Fannie Mae does have this nice little loophole that none of the other ones have, where if you are set up on an income-based repayment plan for your student loans, and that monthly payment is zero, you can actually use zero as your qualifying payment for your debt-to-income ratio. Versus Freddie Mac's not that way, and FHA and VA are not that way. If you're set up on a like income-based repayment plan, it has to be greater than zero. 
Another cool little thing with conventional loans. Let's say you have a pretty big retirement account. Maybe you want to use a little bit of funds from the retirement account. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Whatever. But if the balance in your retirement account is 120% or more of your total funds to close, you don't have to document any liquidation from that account. So let me give you guys an example. Let's say, easy math sake, you owe $10,000 for your funds to close. And you have a retirement account that has $12,000 in it. Awesome. We don't actually have to document any liquidation of those funds. Versus like if you were doing an FHA or VA loan, you have to document liquidation no matter what. So kind of a cool little thing, just kind of saves you from some paperwork. And believe me when I say, sometimes I think people think I like paperwork. I don't. If I can save you paperwork, I get to save me paperwork too. And we're all happy campers here. One of the downsides I'd say to a conventional loan versus FHA and VA is that you do have longer wait periods for derogatory credit items, such as bankruptcies, foreclosures, short sales, things of that nature. Whereas FHA and VA loans do have a much shorter waiting time for those things to pass before you can get a mortgage. Unique features of conventional loans. So one of these is there's no PMI, what does PMI stand for? Private mortgage insurance. No PMI if you're putting 20% down or more. I think this is kind of where that whole you have to put 20% down comes into play is I think it's from this. So that's kind of a cool thing with conventional loans, right? Is if you put 20% down or more, you don't have mortgage insurance. Whereas an FHA loan, you're going to have mortgage insurance for the life of the loan, unless you're putting 10% down or more than it's 11 years. The other kind of cool thing with conventional is that it's not a set percentage. And the more down payment you do, the less coverage you need for your mortgage insurance. What do I mean by that? So if you're doing 5% down, your mortgage insurance rate is going to be higher than someone who's putting 10% down and then someone who's putting 15. Every five you put down, you get reduced mortgage insurance rates. So this is a great option too if you don't want to do a full 20% down. Usually, you guys, it's pretty minimal. If you're doing 10, 15% down, your mortgage insurance rate is usually very small. Conventional loans will allow you to do 3 to 5% down. So we kind of talked on this already. That's really, it's a really cool feature to be able to do 3% down on a mortgage. Now that 3% down, there's a couple loan programs with conventional loans that will allow for that. Home ready and home possible. So the other cool thing with these products is that home ready and home possible will allow you to do 3% down. And you get a reduced mortgage insurance rate at 3% down. That's awesome. 
The biggest thing with these programs though, they have income limits. And the income limits are going to be based on the area and median income for the home or wherever the home is located that you're looking to purchase. So you have to be at 80% or less of the area and median income to qualify for one of these types of loans. You also get, on top of reduced mortgage insurance, on top of 3% down, you get reduced interest rates and reduced loan level price adjustments. So your cost for the interest rate. Really great products and features with conventional loans that maybe you didn't know about. Conventional loans will allow you to have higher loan limits than FHA. VA will match that of the conforming loan limit, but definitely better than FHA. You know, so right now in 2023, the max conforming loan limit, $726,200. FHA, depending on the county you're in, kind of varying between four hundred dollars to 550000 roughly in that ballpark. You know, so if you're looking to get a more expensive home or really a more expensive loan amount, conventional is the way to go. You can buy flip properties with conventional loans, whereas we touched on that with FHA, no flips allowed. So that's definitely a benefit if you want to buy a home from an investor that's been flipped. Conventional is the way to go. Oh, cool. Other little feature too. It is possible to get something called an appraisal waiver on conventional loans. What is an appraisal waiver? So an appraisal waiver, uh, I've gotten them on purchase loans and on refinances, both. But basically, the way you get one is you run it through the underwriting system. Fannie Mae, which is desktop underwriter, or Freddie Mac, which is loan prospector. And it's going to pull, same thing, everything from your application, everything from your credit report. It's going to pull the property information. And if there's enough public data out there about the property and the value, sometimes these underwriting systems will spit out an appraisal waiver. Basically, that states that they accept the inputted value of the property that's on the purchase contract. And you do not need an appraisal, which means you save money because you have to pay for an appraisal. And if you get this, you don't have to pay for an appraisal. You don't have to worry about it coming in low because guess what? Do you have an appraisal waiver? And they say, this is, this is good. We accept this. We don't need more. And we can really only get that with conventional loans. FHA and VA are still going to require appraisals no matter what. So that's a really cool feature. Not something you get every time. Not something you can pay to get. Doesn't happen super often. But when it does, believe me, it's exciting. And to end today's episode, we are going to bust some myths with conventional loans. So there's five we're going to go over today. There seem to not be quite as many myths with with conventional loans as there are for FHA and VA. I think this is because, or at least in my opinion, I call conventional loans like, they're like the vanilla of the mortgage industry. 
anyone can do an easy conventional loan. Anyone, any loan officer, any processor, any underwriter can do an easy conventional loan. It takes more grit, knowledge, determination, understanding to be able to do FHA and VA loans. There's a little more nuances to them, but there's a lot of really cool things you can do with them. So I think that's why there tends to not be as many myths with conventional. It's just because, let's face it, a lot more people can do them because in some cases, not all, but in some cases they do tend to or can be a little bit easier than some of the other types of loans. So myth one, you need 20% down to do a conventional loan. We've busted this one already. You do not. Just like I said, 3 to 5% down minimum for primary, for a primary home, and 10% minimum for a second home, and 15% for an investment property, one unit, 25% for two, three, or four. Myth two. You have to escrow your taxes and your homeowner's insurance in your mortgage payment. Not necessarily true. Unlike FHA and VA loans where you don't really have a choice, you have to escrow. On conventional loans, if you are putting 20% down or more, you can actually choose to waive your escrows. What does that mean? It means that you pay your taxes and your homeowner's insurance outside of the mortgage. So rather than those things being included in your mortgage, your mortgage payment would just be principal and interest, and you would be responsible for paying those other portions outside of it. Myth three, conventional loans are not great loan options for first-time homebuyers. Gonna bust this for you guys, and I've heard this one a lot, especially this year, I talk to a lot of first-time homebuyers. I love my first-time homebuyers. And I constantly hear them say, well, I'm a first-time homebuyer. I want an FHA loan because that's the loan I'm told to get as a first-time homebuyer. I love FHA loans. I love them. They're great, great loan options. But sometimes a conventional loan is better, even as a first-time homebuyer especially if we could qualify for like home ready or home possible, get that 3% down, reduced mortgage insurance, reduced interest rates. Why not? Or, right, if you're looking for a condo, remember what I said, condos, really in most cases you have to have a conventional loan. So if you're a first-time homebuyer who wants a condo, well, conventional is kind of your way to go. <laughs> Myth four, conventional loans require less paperwork. Sorry on this one. I'm going to bust this myth for you guys. Conventional loans do not require less paperwork. Now, what I will say is there's maybe some less, less disclosures that have to be signed. But as far as paperwork goes... You guys, it's still two-year, right? The two-year employment history. We have to have your bank statements. We got to have your credit. Like it, anything we would need to source or document or prove your credit.
credit income and assets on an FHA loan, VA loan, we got to have on a conventional loan too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break the news, but it's, it's going to be pretty much the same documentation requirements. Your hand might feel a little better though, not signing as many documents. So I'd give it that in that case, but still be prepared to provide all the needed documents to your loan officer and your underwriter. And myth five, I don't hear this one often, but I have heard it a little bit, is that conventional loans do not have a loan limit. Wrong. We talked about this a little bit, right? They still do. Now it's higher. So right now in 2023, that conventional or conforming loan limit, 726200 Usually that does increase every year. So I would expect that to go up. You know, when I first started in the mortgage business, the conventional loan limit was only like, I think maybe $420,000. So it has definitely gone up a lot since then. But anything above that, you are kind of looking in jumbo territory or you're getting out of the conforming conventional loan realm into a new type of loan realm. Well, there you guys have it. We busted some myths. Uh, I didn't put it as a myth, but really those like loan level price adjustments, everything in the media, I'd say a lot of that is mythy. <laughs> so I hope I really broke that down for you guys, gave you a good understanding of it. As always, I would love to hear from you guys on different topics that you want to learn more about, because at the end of the day, this show is not for me. <laughs> this show is for you guys. I want to educate you guys, empower you guys to really understand the mortgage process, understand your loan process, what you're getting into, and make the best decisions for yourself. So you can reach out to me via all the social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Lending with Leah, or I have an email, lendingwithleah at gmail.com. So you can always reach out to me there as well. Hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you again next one.